So we are continuing on in our study of 1 Peter. And again, as we've been studying not only Peter as a man, but more importantly, God's Word, Peter continues over and over again to help us with perspective. Our perspective in the face of persecution. Remember, as we've talked about, the context when Peter was writing this is when the church is becoming more and more under persecution. And he's asking them to step up their game. Yes, you are a believer, you are saved, you're now a a Christian, but now you have to live differently. It's not, okay, check, I got that out of my box and now I'm all set. I can go back to living the way I was. No, Peter encourages us that we have to live differently. And again, if you've been with us, we've been talking about responses, right? How we respond to things. Some of you may be thankful that this is probably the last message on response, I think Peter finally moves through that. But again, our responses are important. They're really important in light of today and in light of the time that that Peter was writing this, right? We talked about the response of slaves to master, right? And we liken that to our work. How we respond to our bosses. How do we respond as Christians working a lot of times around non-believers? You know, how do we respond in those situations? Again, we may face some persecution or some suffering in our workplace. And how do we respond to that? We respond as believers, and that's part of our testimony. Then we even dabbled in chapter 3 a little bit in marriage, right? Kind of went out on that, that limb a little bit. You know, we, Jeb's over here shaking his head like, Charlie, I know. You know we talked about that, right? It, how wives are to respond to their husbands, and how important that is. Even a husband who's not a believer. Remember, sometimes women that are married find themselves in that situation. But how they respond is important. It's part of their testimony. It's part of who they are. But it also says who they believe in and how important that is. And of course, the flip side of it, again, it's not a a one-way thing. Husbands, how do you respond to your wives? Right? And our response is important. How we communicate, how we understand them. Remember, men, I said, we need to be students of our wives. We need to take note of them and how we treat them is different than how we treat the guys. We really need to be careful of that. We need to be sensitive to that. And we also talked about how we treat each other, right? Even as believers inside of a church where we're all fairly like-minded, how we treat each other is important. Our response to other Christians is important. We must never forget that people are watching for us every moment. You may not think they're watching or they're paying attention, but believe me, they are. And unfortunately, a lot of unbelievers are are watching you and they're waiting for you to mess up. Really, they're just waiting. They're waiting to pounce on you as soon as you mess up or you do something that's contrary to your faith. And they're they're the first ones usually in line to point out, hey, I thought you said you're a believer. Your, your, your walk's not matching up to what God's Word says. You say you believe that, but your actions are contrary. And so we're being watched in that light as well. And then we, we talked about how we maintain that unity, how we have that bond, how we, as a group of believers, can come around those things and, and how we respond when we have conflict with each other. And that we are to be like-minded. And so that takes us all the way, believe it or not, it takes all the way up to chapter 4 and into chapter 4. And this morning, with God's help, we're going to finish chapter 4. 
And we may even tip a toe into chapter 5 a little bit. Again, the chapter and verses, for me, they are not inspired, and so sometimes um, the breaks don't come evenly, and so we can stretch that out a little bit to complete the thought or to to bring the thought around. So we're going to go on a little bit more. We're starting in verse 12. Man, those guys are so good. I could not do this without them. They, They have it up there before I even think about it, so... Again, Peter's addressing the church here and the believers, and he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something that's strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed with his glory when his glory is revealed. Let's stop right there for a minute. Where do trials come from? You that have gone through James' study, please tell me you're going to get this right. Where do trials come from? God. Yes. Yes. Thanks. I needed that. I really needed that this morning. That's great. That's encouraging. Right? Where does temptation come from? Satan. All right? Yeah. We did all five chapters of James, and we worked on that pretty hard. But it's always good to remember that, right? Again, it helps us with that perspective. And, And Peter says, don't be surprised. You're going to have trials. It comes with the job as believers. There's going to be trials. And God uses those trials to make us better, to help us persevere if we go through them correctly. Right? It's part of that. Now, let me ask you another question this morning. Who here would like to get in the line of the suffering? Right? The suffering line. Right? Anyone want to get in the suffering line? Why not? No? No, no one really, no, no, we don't go out and look for the suffering line, right? We don't really go out and look for the trial line either. We don't, we don't really like trials, but yet Peter's saying, don't be surprised, they're coming. And yes, as a believer, we're going to suffer some form of persecution, some form of insult. Um, there's all sorts of that suffering. That, that suffering can be of different things. And so But he says, rejoice in that. Rejoice in that suffering. How can he say that? I mean, think about what Peter's going through. He's he's headed for prison. He may even have been in prison when he's writing this. But he's saying, hey, rejoice in that. He says that because he says he's identifying with Jesus Christ. Again, he's hearkening back to when Jesus was here on earth, right? Jesus did nothing wrong while he was here on earth, right? Perfect life peaceful, right, teaching in God's will, perfect will, no sin, yet he had to suffer. Sometimes I think we forget that, but, and he's Jesus, so, and he's doing good, but yet he has to suffer. Peter says, you participate in that. Your Christness, in essence, shines through when you're going through suffering. You're identifying with Christ. We do many things that we should, as believers, identify with Christ. We do baptismal. We take communion. We're identifying with Christ as believers. And so Peter's just honing in on that and said, hey, change your perspective a little bit. When you're suffering, you're just being like Christ. And that's where God has you at that moment. Consider a joy that you're being persecuted for being a Christian. It's a hard concept for us, and many of us don't face, we think of persecution as, you know, death and martyrdom and that, and certainly that is, but 
here in the United States, in our Western culture, we don't face it as harshly. But we do face forms of it. We lose friendships over it. We think differently. We look at where our worldviews are different. We may be insulted. We may be unfriended on Facebook. You know, <laughs> I make light of that, but it's true. It happens. We may be blocked or whatever. We're not always perceived as a compassionate group. We get labeled. That's all part of it. That comes with that of being a Christian. He says that you'll be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of the glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should be not as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. So again, he's telling us how to go through that. Remember who else suffered, right? Remember that Jesus suffered. Identify with him. And it's, it's a natural part of being a believer. It's, it's something that comes as part of the, the package. You want to use that, that phraseology. Be insulted. And again, murderers and, and those others that he lists here, criminals, they're, they're getting what they deserve. As a believer, sometimes we're going to suffer even though we don't deserve it. It's not a matter of deserving. It comes with our identification with Christ. That perspective can help us, can help us get through it, even to the point where we can praise God for it. Again, it's part of that trial. It's part of for our benefit. It's part of our testimony. It's to help us. It's to help our faith increase. And Bob, actually, you mentioned it yesterday. We were talking about it. Our perspective. Sometimes what comes with gray hairs. Someone mentioned gray hairs this morning. Heidi mentioned it, right? But I've got a few of those. But gray hairs comes with a little bit of age. It comes with wisdom. But that perspective is over the long haul. We see how often God is faithful. Right? And if God's been faithful in the past, it can help us in the future. Because we know that God's going to continue to be faithful but we need that perspective, right? And though we suffer sometimes for a short time, it's only for a short time in light of eternity. And it's only for a little while. Again, as Christ and as Christians, we should expect it. Don't be ashamed of it. Verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God. It is hard for the righteous to be saved. What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Peter here uses Proverbs. He kind of sticks that in there. Proverbs 11 is a reminder. And again, I need to be reminded of this as well. And sometimes I forget. Believers act one way and according to God's word. Unbelievers act another way according to who they follow. So to expect unbelievers to act like believers, it's foolishness. It just really, it's not going to happen. You're not going to see it happen in the world. And so their lens, the way they look at things, is different than yours as a believer. Sounds simple, and you say, well, yeah, duh, of course. But how many times do we expect a Christian response out of an unbeliever? 
it's impossible. They don't have it. They don't have it within them. It's not part of who they are. There's no reason for them to act that way. They're acting the way they, they should. But I, for me, I've done it many times. I'm expecting a different response, and it's kind of the, what's that old adage? If you keep doing the same thing the same way, expecting a different response, you, yeah, you know. I got it. Peter's saying the same thing. He's reminding us. As believers, we can expect certain things from other believers. That doesn't always happen either. But we, we can expect a certain amount. At least we can go to that brother and sister and talk to them and work through that using God's word. In love. I think that's up there on the apologetics, right? Yeah, in love. That's a key to apologetics. But doing it in love. But with the unbeliever, doesn't match. doesn't work. Verse 19. So then, again, with all that as the background, so then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do so. Commitment. Well, that's a, a, that's a, a word that is lacking even among believers today in many circles, right? Commitment. Committing yourself to Christ. Being faithful. And he's, remember, he's challenging people who are about to be persecuted, who are, some of them are already going through suffering. And he's saying, stay committed. Don't lose your commitment to God. Some of them are actually facing death. Depending on their commitment, who they're going to commit to will lead them to death. But again, Peter, I think, is always also pointing to that perspective. In light of eternity, in light of heaven, it's not the worst thing in the world. Right? It's glory. But staying faithful, being committed, and continue to do good. Again, that's a, that sentence has a lot in it, that continuing to do good, right? Doing good in the face of suffering. What's our natural instinct? If someone insults us or does wrong to us, what's our natural inclination, our human nature, right? Insult them back, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? We, we, we love that scripture, but we take it out of context, right? You hit me, I'll hit you back. Maybe, maybe we've matured a little bit and we'll just, we'll just avoid them, right? We'll treat them. I used to say, people, treat people as though they're dead, right? You just, all of a sudden that person's no longer, I don't see them, they're gone, they're out of my view, I'm just never going to talk to you again. But that's not what, in Scripture, and that's not what we're called to do, right? It says to do good. Wait a minute. They've just insulted me. They've hurt me. And now you're telling me to do good to them? Again, how we respond to that is important. Right? I don't think as believers we get that option. We don't get the, the opportunity to say, you know what? I don't want anything to do with you to put you off to a side. Or we don't, certainly don't get the response to, to hit, hit them back. And that can be difficult. But who's our example? Right? Jesus. Right? And certainly he came under that. He got hit. He was persecuted. He was insulted. And what did he do? He still went to the cross for our sake. All right, that wraps up chapter four. And I could stop there because that's a lot just in and of itself. But Peter's letter continues on a little bit, and I think it. These, these go together, and again, 
hopefully I can tie these two together, but he addresses the elders of the church, right? Part of the structure of the church is to set up elders or pastors or bishops, depending on how you want to translate the, the, the Greek word there, but um, overseer is another one that comes out of that. Shepherds. He says, to the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Again, so he's appealing to them, and he's identifying with them. Hey, I'm one of you. I understand this. I get the responsibility of leadership. And so I'm appealing to you. Again, these are multiple church settings, so these are multiple elders. These are multiple little groups. But there's someone that's the point person or the in charge, and it may be a couple people. Here we have six elders, seven if you count me. Again, the same group. And we oversee. We're part of the shepherd here at Pointway. And these churches had the same setting. There would be someone that would be the point person that was in charge, someone to watch over. And so Peter's identifying with him, and he says, hey, I can identify with you, but guess what? You are going to suffer as well. And he's really saying, your people are going to suffer. And it's going to be important how you minister to those folks. How do you minister to them while you're suffering yourself? How do you minister to those who are suffering as well? And so when we look at that passage from that, it puts a little added, at least for me, it puts a little added burden as a shepherd. And so then we have verse 2, and verse 2 is quoted quite often uh, in leadership conferences and things that I go to. It says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. I'm going to stop right there, and then it's going to go on to some qualifications, but I just want to stop right there. Again, he uses the metaphor of shepherds and sheep, right? And shepherds, if you know anything about sheep herding and, and that, they need a lot of care. Sheep take a lot of direct care. I'm not going to call you dumb sheep this morning. I've been called that. I've been... But you know what? Sheep in general are not the brightest animals on the planet. A sheep will literally, if it won't get up, if it lays down, it'll actually die. It, just, it will just give up hope for no reason. It may not even be that sick. They need someone to, to get it up and get it on its feet. It won't even feed itself. It needs help. In fact, the reason it needs a shepherd a lot of times is it's food and water. It's got to be provided for them. You've got to take it to that and show them where the water is and show them where the good grass is. They'll eat themselves out of a plot of grass and they won't even move on on their own. The other thing that's neat about sheep, though, is that they do better in a flock together, staying together. Sheep, get if they get divided and off by themselves, they become an easy prey. Lots of things like to eat sheep. Lamb's all right, but it's not my favorite. It has nothing to do with this passage. I just threw that in there. It wasn't even in my notes. You get in trouble real quick. Um, but he's speaking to the shepherds, the ones that are watching over the sheep. And again, I, I actually like the word overseers. He's looking over. He's looking over the sheep. And, you know, that's one of the beauties of being able to appear. I can look over and I can see all of you. I can see you here this morning. I love the fact that we're, we're still small enough that I can kind of identify. I can see your faces and I, I know you and I know a lot of your stories. And, and that's part of it. And that relationship that builds. 
Some of you are new here this morning, and I don't know you, and I understand that as well. But I'm glad you're here. I really am. But being an overseer is looking over that. And it says they're under your care. He's placed them. God has placed you here, and he's also placed leaders to be looking over you. Not because you must, but because you're willing, right? It's not a requirement. It's not you, you have to. You have to check a box or that's uh, the position that you're, you're looking to get. But you're, you're willing. It takes a willingness. You might want to check with our elders. I don't, I'm not sure that any of them, you know, they're not forced. They're not held by gunpoint to be here as elders. In fact, in the way we do it here at Point Way, we elect them. And we ask them ahead of time. And it's not a surprise. But they're willing. They're willing participants in that. goes on here to list the qualifications. Because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money. Not greedy for money, right? It's not a financial gain. But you know what? Money is part of it. Church building, we have budgets, we have finances. And you know what? Money can become a hindrance to leadership. It really can. In many ways, sometimes when you know the finances, you know what's going on, there's a lot of temptation with that. And so there's a warning there, not greedy for money. Bob knows this, but maybe some of you don't. But in the Alliance, they actually check with us before we, uh, part of our ordination, part of our licensing is how much debt we have, how much financial debt we have, we come carrying in. Our finances have to be in order. There's a reason for that. We, we, as pastors, we have to be careful how we handle our finances. I'm not a Dave Ramsey, a student by any means, just so you know. In fact, I'm old enough, I'd start out with Larry Briquette and kind of work my way up. PJ reminds me, that's why I have kayaks and not a boat. But if you know Larry Briquette, you'll get that joke. But if not, then maybe you won't. Larry Briquette's passed on. And... But finances, how we manage finances, how we handle them is important. Again, if we're looking to use that as a gain for money for ourselves, then we probably have the wrong motivation. Just a little side note. I have a friend who's a, a non-believer, and whenever her and I get into a disagreement, and we, we do disagree quite often, um, she's a whole, an old high school buddy, but the, the, one, the one person she points out, she says, well, you pastors are all the same, and she puts me in the same financial category as Joel Olstein. I can tell you for sure, I am not in the same financial category as Joel Olstein. but again, when she's insulting or when she's trying to make a point, that's who she points to. You're only in it for the money. That's the only reason you're doing it. You're taking from everybody. To, she has no idea. Right. But that's her example, and that's her, her, her context when she thinks of pastors. Exactly. Yes, it, the blaring example of, of what it is. And right, she has no clue, as Amanda says, uh, financially. And I'm not complaining about my finances. You folks do more than good in taking care of me. But again, money is a factor in that and part of that, that willingness. This next one, eager to serve. It's one of the, I think that's probably one of the more essential qualities in an elder, eagerness to serve. I'll never forget, and it's not in this church, I had an elder in the past. I've had good elders, I've had bad elders, kind of comes with ministry. But I had an elder once, older gentleman, just aspired to be an elder. He couldn't wait to be an elder. He went through some, some training, some classes. And 
about six months into it, he came into my office and he says, Charlie, this is not what I signed up for. He says, you got me still serving. I'm still having to do things in the church. I'm having to do these projects. You keep giving me work. He says, I thought I was just going to be able to come to a meeting and just make decisions, and everyone else does the work. And this is a guy that's been saved for a long time and, and knew, but his perspective was that was all he had to do was make decisions. And believe me, we have good elders here, and they all serve elsewhere. I have the gift of delegation. I can do that pretty well. They know it. No. They were already serving long before they became elders. And that's a blessing to have. But again, that's a vital part of it. And I, and I truly believe that. We need to be willing to serve and to do something before we ask someone else to do the same thing. Doesn't work in all situations, but we need to be willing to do it, willing to roll up our sleeves before we can ask someone else to do the same thing. So again, that willingness to serve is part of it. Again, these are just some of the qualifications. There's other scriptures, Timothy, Titus, they certainly, um, the qualifications, and these come up, but here's some that Peter listens, lists here, and I, I like these. Um, eager to serve, number, verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. Ouch. That one's a tough one, right? Again, not the lording part. That one, that one again, there's, there's not a lot of fame. And you know, I, there's not a lot of fame here with the elders at, at our church. In fact, they, they, they know they get picked on probably more than they should. But that's on me. I'll probably hear about the next elders meeting, about how much I do pick on them. No. Well, it's not the lording part, but that be an example, right? That's tough. Tough being an example. Tough being watched. And again, we're not talking now about unbelievers. We're talking about within the church. We're talking about other believers watching us as elders. Again, I put myself in that same category because really that it is. It's all part of that same position. But being that example among other believers. Again, that doesn't mean that we are perfect. Don't ever get that, you know, that, that's an easy one. That won't take long to figure that out. But how we respond to it, how we react to it. Do we ask for forgiveness? Do we go back? We make amends if we need to to restore relationships. How we handle things, how we handle certain situations. How we watch over you. Do we care about you as elders? Are we truly ministering to you? Are we serving your needs? You notice I said needs, not wants. <laughs> Right? Because if you want me to wear a tie and suit every Sunday, those days have passed. I'm not doing... No, I'm just kidding. It's an old joke. And... But there are needs. And there are needs that are met. And there should be an expectation of that from the congregation and from the flock. And again, elders need to be aware of that. They need to be examples. We need to be held accountable. If we don't meet those, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And then lastly, as we wrap up this section of elders, it's always great to remember, because you know what? Sometimes there are bad elders. There are bad pastors. But we're not the, we're not the ultimate authority. Some of you are shaking your heads. I'm, I'm not sure how to take that. It's okay. It's all right. There's someone over me. You know what? That's a great thing. There's someone beyond me. It says, and when the chief shepherd appears you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Right? There is a reward for being an elder, and 
and to doing that well. But you know what? Ultimately, we answer to God our Father. You answer to God our Father, despite your pastor or despite the elders. Right? Even a, a bad elder still comes under the authority of God, and you, have, you still have to follow the chief shepherd. And I love that, the fact that we're under his covering as well. Because you know what? As an elder, we need that. We need the grace. We need the mercy. We need the forgiveness. Again, all this in the backdrop of suffering. So hopefully this has given you something to, to think about. One thing I would ask as an elder, I would ask that you would pray for your elders. Pray for your pastor. That we would be good examples. That we would not be tempted by money or any of these other things. That we would serve with the right heart, with the right attitude. Pray for us. Encourage us. Keep those things in mind. Also, in light of um, the suffering, you know, don't be afraid to share when you're struggling. Don't be afraid to, to let the body know, you know what? Things are tough at work right now. Things are not going well. I'm feeling persecuted. I'm feeling judged unjustly. But there's encouragement there. That's part of the church body coming alongside of you, encouraging you. Can be blessings in that. But even if that doesn't take place, keeping that perspective. You know what? I'm suffering as a Christian. Christ suffered as well. And you know what? As a Christian, I'm going to follow him. He is the chief shepherd. Bow with me, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, even though we may not desire to suffer or to come under persecution, Lord. We know that you allow it. That you allow it for not only our good, Lord, but as a testimony to you who suffered greatly for us. Lord, I also pray that you would just continue to do your work in and through the elders here at Pointway, through your body. Lord, that we would be a testimony to the outside world, to those around us, to each other, and that we'd be an encouragement as a body of believers. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the folks that are here this morning, Lord, that you would just continue to do that work in and through us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.